Hello. How are you? We're gathered here together at St. Anne's, and we rejoice again that the Lord has brought us together for our lay apostle prayer group. And tonight, I want to talk about a book that I recently read. And this book is called Left to Tell. This is written by a woman from Rwanda named Immaculee. In the book, she details what happened in 1994, a three-month genocide. The politics are irrelevant in that politics can happen anywhere and have in the past. But here's what occurred. For decades, people from two different tribes lived alongside each other in relative peace. And children from one tribe played at the house of children from the other tribes and stayed overnight at their houses. And people from the Tutsi tribe taught Hutus. People from the Hutu tribe taught Tutsis. On the surface, it all appeared relatively peaceful. Immaculate's family was very committed to education and they were doing well. And this made some people jealous. The situation began to heat up and then simmer. And then, when the Hutu president died, hell broke loose, and the slaughter of nearly one million ethnic Tutsis began. There were guns, machetes, horrible torture, gang rape, and it was a bloodbath. Through God's grace, Immaculate, a Catholic, was hidden in a tiny bathroom of a Protestant minister with seven other women. They remained hidden in this way for 91 days, nearly starving. All around them, the genocide occurred. Now, the killers sought her especially, and after they had killed her mother, father, and brothers, they went looking for her. On several occasions, they were outside of the bathroom door, which was hidden by a wardrobe. Other times, they were underneath the bathroom window, calling her name. Immaculate prayed the rosary and the Divine Mercy Chaplet constantly, and Jesus in heaven sustained her very personally and supernaturally. Now we know that where there is holiness and a great plan, God's enemy lurks. And this tiny bathroom filled with ter terrified women was no exception. The day came when Immaculate heard that her family had been murdered. Her brother had a master's degree and a great joke amongst the killers was that they had beheaded a young man with a master's degree and had laughingly looked into his skull to see if they could find this degree. When she heard this, Immaculate heard about the death of her mother and father and she thought in her unbearable anguish, may they burn in hell. One night, Later, when the killers came close, Immaculate prayed, Jesus, protect us. 
And then Satan began to speak. And he said, Immaculate, how can you pray? You are not holy. You just said you wanted these men to burn in hell. Where is your forgiveness? Where is your Christianity? And he went on to taunt her this way, saying, you are a fake and a phony. Don't call on God because God has abandoned you. This is how the enemy speaks. Now, Immaculate was then forced to confront a huge struggle to forgive. Satan made fun of her. She prayed. Jesus supported her. And at the end, after 91 days, they were released. Sometime later, Immaculate was taken to the prison where the man who had killed her father was being held. The officials dragged him out and threw him before Immaculate on his knees. The killer was sick, dirty, pitiful, nearly deranged. Immaculate offered her hand and said, I forgive you. The prison authority was furious. He said, why did you do this? This was your chance to avenge your family. She replied, forgiveness is all that I have left. We might say in the West, this could never happen here. We could never be drawn into such irrational hatred. We are better than that. But the way the first tribe persuaded people to slaughter nearly a million of their countrymen was by demonizing them gradually over time. They called them sneaky. They called them snakes. They spread this in the media, the radios, the town squares. Now let's jump. Currently in Ireland, as in other places in the world, there is a huge outcry against the institutional church. Before we examine this further, let's stipulate to some facts. With regard to pedophilia in the church, there were big crimes, followed by big mistakes, and what was left was a big mess. We all owe a huge debt to the courageous victims who came forward. Through the courage of the victims of the past, and through the determination of our church leadership and implementing protective policy, many of our children in the future will be spared. Thank God. But be assured, children continue to be victimized elsewhere. And those determined to focus on the church have their backs to the present danger because we all know that most pedophiles are married men. So this same kind of mess is going to have to happen in families, in schools, and in communities. And when it does, and when we identify those married men, for example, who are molesting children, are we going to spend our energy demonizing the married men who are not molesting children? Are we going to go after all the people who knew something was amiss, but it didn't do anything? This doesn't make any sense. Think about this. Do we really want to protect children 
Or is the goal simply to beat up the church? The story right now and what says the most about us is where we direct our pain. Immaculate had 91 days of sitting almost perfectly still to consider her probable death, the slaughter of her family, and the absolute mandate she faced to forgive the offenders. This surely was the Christianity the Holiness Olympics. Immaculate past. Would we? Would we pass this test? In Rwanda, prior to the slaughter, while there was peace on the outside, there was something happening under the surface. It was simmering like a rotten stew, ugly, straight from the garden of hell. But the people contained it in their hearts, smiling, but harboring poison on the inside. Closer to home in the West, I once spoke to a woman who was a practicing Catholic. During a casual conversation, the topic of the church arose. She suddenly changed. She sneered at the teachings on sexuality, the priesthood, the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, none of which it was evident she understood. She hated the church, and yet she practiced. And I thought, why does she go? On another occasion, some people were talking casually. These were nice people and very well-mannered. The subject of another woman came up, and one of them began a blistering diatribe against her. Out came slander, judgment, cruel speculation, vicious innuendo, based on nothing, not one fact. It turned out she had hated this person since high school. This was shocking and disturbing. Moments later, the card game resumed, as though nothing had happened, as though this level of hatred were perfectly normal. My friends, what's happening in the papers and on the radio and on the television is like swirling hatred. It's irrational and inciting people to condemnation and rebellion, not of the church, but of God. Some people say, well, hey, God is okay. It's the church that's the problem. Well, my friends, the church belongs to God, and the people leading have been sent by God. Are they perfect? Well, I'd say they're about as perfect as each one of the rest of us. They're probably just about that perfect. Let's look at some other professions. Let's take law enforcement. Are the people working in law enforcement human? Yes. Do they make mistakes? Yes. They would be the first to admit it, and sometimes their mistakes have very severe consequences. They have to live with this pressure, and I know that they feel that people are always waiting to pounce on them if they do anything wrong. If we were to examine the records of every policeman or guard eye, every prosecutor or judge, we would find mistakes, things they would do differently in looking back. Should they all resign, do you think? 
God help us if they do. Let's take the medical profession. Are these people human beings? Yes. Do they make mistakes? Absolutely. They would be the first to admit it. And sometimes their mistakes have severe consequences. They have to live with that pressure. And I know that people in the medical profession feel that others are waiting to pounce on them if they do anything wrong. If we were to examine the records of every nurse, doctor, and surgeon, we would find mistakes, things they would do differently in looking back. Should they all resign? God help us if they do. Let's take teachers. Are they human? Yes. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Should we force them all to resign? Let's take parents. Are they human? Yes. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Should they all resign? What would that look like? Who's left? Nurses who give out wrong medications, secretaries who delete important files, solicitors who botch people's wills, librarians who misfile books, house cleaners who break lamps, car dealers who sell cars with defects. Now some might say, I am minimizing abuse by daring to compare clergy abuse to these other mistakes. I promise you, I'm not. Let's say the librarian misfiles a book in a hospital and a doctor has an emergency and when he goes to put his hands on this book, he can't find it. And without the information, the patient dies. Her, her mistake has dire consequences. Did she intend these consequences? Did she kill the patient? Or was she part of a chain of dreadful events and mistakes that led to a tragedy? These things happen, I assure you, every day in law enforcement, in medicine, and in parenting. But in this attack on the church, we are possibly losing the plot. And with regard to pedophilia, I believe at this time, we might be looking in the wrong direction. Am I being unfair? I don't think so. I think it is unfair to accuse anyone who supports the institutional church of supporting pedophilia. We all categorically reject and condemn actions that hurt children. I think also it is unfair to take a microscope to a person's professional past and pounce on things they did years ago, holding these things up to the light of today's knowledge and policy. And if we were to look back at the actions of policemen, doctors, teachers, parents, and yes, priests and bishops of 35 years ago, or even 10 years ago, we could condemn any one of us in five minutes. I'm afraid we are, as a society, turning into something ugly. And I think this is another cover-up, one that involves us all, and one that is being ignored. I believe this is what Jesus now wants exposed, the cover-up 
that is hatred and bitterness in people's hearts. Jesus Christ, returning as king, has his work cut out for him. And so do we. I heard someone say, well, there's your obedience for you. That's what obedience brings. But my friends, this is an adolescent view of obedience. Real obedience is beautiful. And it means simply everyone going in the direction of the moral leadership. Not like robots, but like intelligent, thinking people who recognize that not everybody is chosen to lead. Some of us are chosen to follow. I want to tell you that while Immaculate was sitting, waiting to be murdered for 91 days, she listened to Satan, then she listened to Christ, and one thing became abundantly clear to her. She said, I knew if I were to survive, I would have to do the hard work in my head. It's the same for each one of us. We have to think for ourselves. People may leave the church, but this has always happened. And when and if they want to return, the church will be waiting for them because God will send brave men and women to sustain the church. And the gates of hell will now prevail against her. We pray that our leaders are not distracted, trying to lead those who will not follow, and that they will get out in front of the faithful who will follow and who crave moral leadership. As an apostolate, we are a broad movement for holiness in the church, and that is why we come from all parts of the church. Don't fight, apostles, but do quietly defend the truth. And we must search out any areas in ourselves where we are harboring anything bad in our hearts. Are we holding anything against anyone? Are we envious of anyone? Are we jealous, bitter? What are we holding on to in the past? In the way of resentment, where are we being tempted against the rightful leadership? We have to stay close to the teachings and the, vol the volumes for us because these are solid directions for holiness in this time, and they always lead back to Scripture. Husbands and wives, concern yourselves with being good spouses and good parents, single people and young people. Do not wait to serve the church later. Serve the church now. Priests, sisters, religious, you have made your commitment. Thank God for every day for your vocation. Be grateful, because if you don't, you could lose it. In our apostolate, we're all saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet during this time. So this is our time to repeat day after day, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. In closing, let me say that the renewal has begun. Clearly, there is a parallel movement of darkness, and there will be strong winds, but the King will sustain us. So now, in our holy hour, we bring 
everything to the Lord Jesus, the divine physician, the almighty, the all-powerful. With St. Faustina's trust, Jesus will answer our prayers.